If you're ready for freedom from the grind, then passive income from real estate investing is the best way to get you there. If you don't know where to start or what to do next, then the Rent Roll Radio Show is the best place to get you there. Join us while we discuss the best practices, strategies, and mindset you'll need and give you actionable content to get you from where you are to where you want to be. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. Today, we are joined with Sam Prem from Faster Freedom. Sam is doing some rock star shit out on social media. And he caught my eye. So I slid into his DMs and I was like, dude, I got to get you on the show. So uh, he was so gracious to accept the invite. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. And I, I'm really excited to have you here. Oh, no, awesome. I, I'm excited to be as well. I'm glad you slid right in. Uh, Sam, can you tell our listeners your story, man? What's your, your background, what you were doing before, how you got into real estate and what you're doing these days? Yeah, I'll try to I'll kind of give the Cliff Notes version and we can dive in where you see fit. But I kind of like to say that I used to try to, you know, be on social media and try and be like all these other people. And I didn't have this exciting background. I didn't have this exciting, you know, rags to riches story. I'm just like a normal dude from the Midwest. You know, dad was an engineer. Mom was a teacher. Dad worked for one company for 40 years. I went to high school, went to college, you know, got a job, was doing, you know, that whole path. And then um, a couple of years after that, things kind of shifted. I started to invest in real estate on the side, saw the power of being your own boss and, you know, being able to do what you want and being able to, you know, have no glass ceiling on your income. So I started to invest in real estate on the side. And then in 2018, I quit and went full-time into real estate. And since then, things have just been gangbusters. I've been um, buying and flipping and renting. Uh, we we flipped, which when I say flip, I mean wholesale and uh, a fix and flip. We flipped about 320 houses last year. Um, I got about a $40 million rental portfolio, a little over that, uh, that I've been able to buy over the past few years using other people's money. And then I've been doing the social media thing for a couple of years and been fortunate enough to get up to about the, we just crossed the 2.1 million mark on social media. So I kind of um, walked that path of normal ass dude to side hustle real estate, to full-time real estate, to financially free. And I think that's a path that a lot of people want to walk. I think that's kind of what I've leaned into. And that's kind of what's really connected with people. And, you know, to show that you don't have to come from money and you don't have to come from, you know, this rags of riches store. You can just be a normal person and make it work. Awesome. Yeah. And like I said, before we hit record, you know, you're doing everything I'm doing. You're just doing it better. So I, I selfishly created this podcast years ago. It was in 2019 when I started because it just gave me um, it gave me a free ticket to just reach out to people that I thought were doing great stuff and interview. And um, so that's, you know, that's a lot of the questions that, that I come up with are just things that that I want to know so I can improve my business. And a lot of a lot of our listeners are kind of in the same spot, you know, maybe trying to take it to the next level. So the first question I had, um, as, as I think it's a, a probably a common subject that a lot of people are, are jiving with these days is, you know, you'd mentioned you were doing real estate on the side while you had a W-2 job. What was your job? Yeah, I was so I was started out in sales. I was selling uh, construction equipment. And then at the time I quit, I was actually a sales manager. But um, just, you know, in sales, having a job that I didn't hate, I just I just didn't love it. And as I saw the side of real estate and the power of, you know, being able to, you know, be your own boss and, you know, make as much money as you were willing to work for, um, even in sales, there's usually caps to how much you can sell and what you can do. So, um, yeah, just kind of a, a normal sales selling uh, heavy Caterpillar construction equipment. Awesome. And so um, I assume, and that's, you know, I was in sales when I started buying real estate as well. And it's very flexible work, right? If you hit your quota, 
you know, your boss kind of stays off your ass. So you go sell in this time frame and then commit the rest to your real estate portfolio. So let's talk about the transition from, from leaving that W2 job. So uh, I, you know, I have a, a pretty large rental portfolio and I flip a bunch of houses and I have a bunch of apartment syndications and, and I still have cash flow issues. You know what I mean? And, and I talked to my friends and they're like, I think everybody just kind of like thinks that you go buy 10 rental properties and then they'll, they'll pay, they'll replace your salary. But for me, it just hasn't worked out that way. Maybe I'm buying wrong. Maybe I'm forecasting wrong. But tell me about the transition from your W-2 to full-time real estate, what what your uh, parameters were to make that transition. Like it was that I need X number of dollars in the bank. I need X number of cash flow a month. Like what what was that? What was that whole transition like for you? Yeah, so I I didn't you know just jump in. Well, two things. I didn't just jump in. I made sure I had a plan. Me and my business partner Lucas, we own everything together. I didn't you know just decide we were going to quit one day. We had planned for it, so we had built up you know I think twenty or twenty five rentals at the time, and we had you know deals coming in as far as wholesales and flips coming in. We knew we had some money in the pipeline, some runway to at least create some income. So there's that. And then the other part of it is I I still, and I don't encourage people, you know, it obviously works for some, but I don't encourage people to ever really rely on their rental income. Because as you know, if you're borrowing money to buy rentals, and like you said, cash flow can be an issue, especially if you're looking to scale, like we're hiring things out where, um, you know, I'm not spending very much time in business. So I'm I'm not collecting that much like a none to my pocket because it's staying in the business. And if you have 10 rentals and an AC and a water heater go out that month, you don't have any income coming in. So I always tell people if your passive wealth building is your rentals, I don't think you should touch that for a long time. If ever, you have to have active income and that active income can be your W-2 sales job or that active income can be in real estate being an agent and flipping a couple houses a year and doing a couple wholesales a year and making your 75, 100, however much you want to make. It's not really too hard to make a hundred grand if you're going to do three, four wholesales, a couple flips and, you know, be an agent. So you can, you can kind of have them both be in real estate, but in my opinion, you really need that active income as well as if you want to build those rentals, trying to live off of cash flow from your rentals is really tough unless it's like paid off and you're, you know, you're collecting 30 grand a month. And, you know, cause as you probably see, and then I'll get off my soapbox, some months we're making 25 grand, some months 40, <laughs> some, it's, it's 10, it's all over the freaking place. So unless your high is like 30, 40 grand, you know, at that point, your low is probably 10, but if your high is 10, your low might be zero some months. So you need to have active income. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really glad to hear you say that because, you know, uh, a lot of days, you, especially I don't have a partner. It's just I don't have a partner on my, my flips and my my rental properties. I have partners with my apartment complexes. But someday it's just me in here and it's like, man, am I doing it wrong? You know, like or, or on TV, I'm supposed to be collecting all this passive income. But, you know, like you said, when you add up the water heaters and the roofs and the, you know, all that kind of crap, it just doesn't work out like that every month. That that's that's so. Um, going back next next personal uh, issue that I'm struggling with that I'd love to pick your brain on. So you'd mentioned wholesaling and flipping. You also mentioned being a realtor. Are you a realtor? Yeah, I, I have my license. I don't ever really use it for anything. Um, I haven't listed up one of anything in years and years and years. I just have it more for the connections and the you know MLS access and stuff. Cool. Um, so with how are you marketing? for your director or like, where are you getting your leads? How are you getting your leads? Because I lived off of wholesalers for years and 
as I, when I go to scale, it's like, all right, well, the, the wholesalers can't feed me as much as I want to eat. So we've got to transition to some direct to seller marketing model. And we've just, we've, we failed miserably across all, all platforms. What are, what are you doing to get deals? Like, I, I don't know what I'm, we tried cold callers. We've tried, you know, a, direct mail we've tried you know text message campaigns what have you found to be the most successful um, avenue for sustained deal flow yeah so we so how our acquisitions are set up so we have five full-time buyers that you know that helps having people full-time um going out look at your houses and let's just keep it simple math we bought 300 houses last year um probably 200 of them came from $0 in marketing spend. I'll get into some systems we created for that here in a minute. And the other 100 came from marketing and ad spend. And our best sources for those are probably direct mail. It's something that, you know, costs money. You have to do it over and over, but not everybody's willing to do that. If you're willing to spend 10,000 pieces, 20,000 pieces a month, that first month you get a deal, second month, two deals, third month, one deal, fourth month, three deals, fifth month, three, like it starts to stack because so many people just give up on it. So there's so many places you can go, so many ways you can stack lists, so many different different ways about to do that. You know, our, our best are probates, probably sending probate mailers out, um, things like that, you know, that, you know, there's something obviously they have to sell, but we like, you know, do the absentee and all those different things and, and stack lists, you know, an absentee, pre-foreclosure, water shutoff list or whatever they are on prop stream or things like that. So direct mail is probably our most consistent approach. Um, ads on Facebook and um, AdWords. So pay-per-click for Facebook or AdWords, those are expensive, but those will get you, you know, that's pull marketing, right? People are looking it up and people are searching, sell my house fast cash, St. Louis, or sell my house, St. Louis, or home home buyers in St. Louis area. We, we you know, do AdWords for those and on Facebook targeting and retargeting and things like that. So those are pretty good for us. Again, they're, they cost money. You have to continue to do it. You're not going to do it one or two months in a row and probably make it worth it. So you have to make a commitment to it. Um, we've done the cold calling. Hasn't really done that well for us. It's done okay. We've done the um, text messaging again, really cheap, but really not really the highest quality leads either. And just I don't really like just bombarding people's people's uh, inboxes or their phones. Um, and then the other um, thing that's uh, worked really well for us is SEO. When people are searching your name, we have a website that's been around a while. We spend a lot of money, backlinks and authority domains and all those things for that. We have people doing that for us. So that's been really, really impactful for us as far as the paid side goes. Um, uh, the 200 that we buy, those five full-time buyers, they're supposed to buy for every house we give them in marketing. They're supposed to buy their own via their own networking. They network with real estate agents, elder law attorneys. They go to senior care facilities and network. They, you know, go to uh, insurance agents and contractors and they just get their name out um, that they're looking to buy as is houses and a real estate agent that lists 20 houses a year, 19 of them are retail ready and we don't even want them they don't want us to have them. But that one a year that they list that's a hoarder house or they don't want to list or won't pass inspection, they bring those to us. And we know this has taken several years to develop. But once we started to kind of do that, um, it's really started to stack up. I think three years ago, we bought 75 houses um, without a dollar marketing spend on, on the networking side, we call it. The last, the two years ago was like 125. Then last year was 200. So having those, that basis of, we call it the gravy train, you know, five wholesalers, five real estate agents, and five connectors bringing you leads every single month. It fluctuates, but that's a couple of buys a month from from that. If you know you got each one bringing you a couple of leads a month, that's what thirty leads, maybe sixty yes. leads a month, just from that one buyer. 
through the, his sources um, that they're doing. So it's kind of a complex, but not super complex system. The biggest thing is we get our name out there that we're willing to buy. We're usually the, um, if a wholesaler has one shot at a property, one walk through, someone they know they, they know can close and will pay cash, then they call us and we're in there. Um, if there's an open house, you know, cattle call, we're, we're not usually the ones for that. But um, it's just something that's just taking time to, to develop, but it's really, really working. So when you say you have five buyers, what do you mean by a buyer? Like a like an acquisition manager? Yeah, acquisition, yep, that's what we call buyers. Yep, their, their full-time job is to just buy houses for us. They buy 30 to 50 houses a year for us. And how are they compensated? Uh, they're compensated on percentage of profit, uh, 25% of the profit um, on the property, whether we wholesale it or flip it. 100% cool. commission. Well, that's something cool. that could maybe you'd have to have somebody that you could feed leads to, to help, you know, we say your marketing buys from us is like your base salary. You're going to get a, a buy or two, maybe three a month, uh, a buy or two, probably more realistically from the leads that we're going to provide you for free. But if you really want to make a good living, you're going to have to bring your own leads in as well and spend the extra time in that week networking and finding and connecting uh, with other people because the off-market industries like St. Louis isn't that big of a city, but there's thousands of off-market properties a year in St. Louis, and we just you know want to get a few hundred of those. And so you said you give them 25% of the profit. Mm-hmm. That's deep. Where, where are you? Where are you finding these guys? They're usually successful wholesalers or a successful. Um, a successful like uh you know just salesperson and a lot of companies most of them do like 10 percent or something like that but then all they get is and that's where we've had companies and some of the masterminds i'm in kind of switching to our model because when it was easy to get leads and marketing was working and everything like yeah let's spend 100 grand on marketing this month we'll make a lot of money you'll make a lot of money but when that 100 grand doesn't go as far and they're not making very much money you're not making very much money and they're only coming from your marketing and it's reliant on your marketing for them to make money you to make money that's where it's tricky like our our number one buyer last year bought 30 houses on his own from his from zero dollars in my marketing spend we had to pay him you know, 25% for those, we got 75%, but that cost me $0 to get 30, to get 75% of 30 houses. Um, so we just pay a little bit more, but it comes with the expectation that you're bringing your own leads. And if we were just paying on our marketing leads, we'd be paying less than 25% for sure. But we have buyers that don't quit. We have the best acquisition guys in town. Everyone wants to work for us because they make, you can make really good money, but it comes with an expectation that you're going to provide your own leads and your own buys. And you have to buy everything through our company. You can't like do it on the side because it's your buddy's neighbor or your, you know, grandma's house. You got to buy that through the company. And, um, you know, we get, how do, you, how do you police that? Um, just with the right culture, the right people, um, they sign it on, yeah. they sign, they sign something, but it's just a, you know, we have our hands in enough and know the buyers and the sellers and, you know, the people that are buying our houses that, that I'm sure every once in a while it's happened, but, um, mainly the right culture. We're, we're big on culture. And I trust those guys. And, uh, just, you know, that they're, you know, we see the houses that come in and I see, my grandma's neighbor's house come through the system. So I know that, you know, they're, they're not cornhole in that one. So. Yeah. So what, um, what's your criteria? Like, what are you looking for when you buy a house? Um, so, I mean, we'll buy anything here in St. Louis. Really. We don't really love the war zones. You know, obviously like most people don't, we usually stay away from that, which North city, you know, St. Louis doesn't have the best reputation mainly because of East St. Louis, which is, is in Illinois and then North North city, but the rest of St. Louis is actually pretty good. Um, so we pretty much anywhere and we'll, we'll take anything. Um, you know, we get our hands on our criteria for rehabbing is 
right now, you know, twenty to seventy-five thousand dollar rehabs on houses, you know, four hundred thousand dollars and less. So we're gonna get in and out quickly in the, you know, entry level, first time ish home buyer price range, you know, not the crazy expensive houses. We've done those and that's just not our specialty. So if it needs a hundred grand or it's a six hundred thousand dollar house, we're just gonna wholesale that one off and make what we can, close if we have to, or double close if possible. And then the flips is where we're getting really, you know, we're really trying to um you know, focus on stuff that we can get in and out of quickly that um, isn't going to, you know, go way over budget because, you know, some crazy because we're into every single wall and redoing every system. So we just try to do cosmetic flips. Um, and then other than that, we're going to wholesale it off. Awesome. So what is a deal to you? Um, how do you how do you train your buyers to go? Well, this is a property I want to buy. Is it all in for 70% of the ARV or, or what, what formula are you following? Yeah. So we, we, we use, we try to teach them 70, 75% of ARV, you know, we're for sure going to, if it, so we have a, a sales manager as well that manages um, the sales guys and does final approval on all their deals. Like we have the system, the CRM, you know, the, the buyers have the authority to, um, buy it without our approval, but then if it's a loss, they're on the hook for hundred percent of the loss, but if we approve it, then, you know, we're on the hook for the loss with them. And well, if there's a loss, so they almost always get approval. Um, so, you know, we have a manager that manages them and motivates them, but also helps them underwrite deals and look at deals. And if we're for sure going to flip it, then we can let them go up. We haven't letting them go up to 80%, but that kind of kicked us in the nuts recently. We've been, we've been losing a little bit of money in that company with this market shift. Um, so we've actually been not very profitable over the past few months, but um, that's my question. Yeah, so kinda depends. How, how often do you lose on one? Um, probably last year was a, not the best year. Probably lost on 15, maybe 20 out of the 300. It's just a numbers game, right? If we buy 600, we're going to yeah. lose on 40. You know, if we buy a hundred, we'll probably lose on five. So I don't know the exact math, but it's just a numbers. I game. made a, I made a video the other day saying that if you don't lose money every once in a while, you're not buying enough houses. You know what I mean? You're not, you're not pushing it hard enough. Oh, we're, we lost, we lose a lot of money. We lost <laughs> we lost 110 grand in November and we're losing 35 grand this month. December was good, but yeah, it's a, I look at it as, and I like to read books and like, you know, these, you know, good to great by Jim Collins and these like big books. And like, you know, we, we've been losing money a little bit lately. And a lot of people in the industry are, some people are going out of business and some people are, you know, scared and we don't like losing money, but we have reserves built in and Shit, so well, the book I just read, Ford lost like billions of dollars in the 80s. Like, we're not Ford, but we're we want to be a big company. We want to be a billion dollar organization through all of our co investment companies, not just the flipping company. So it's okay to ride the waves down and up. And you know, we just as long as you're prepared to take some of those um kicks in the nuts, you know, you will be better for it. And uh, a lot of the competition won't be and they'll be gone. So um it's one of those things where, yeah, not everything's a home run, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, as you're kind of alluding to, and what's happening to us right now. And I think a lot of people are break even or barely profitable or losing money the past six months and probably the next two or three months. Yeah. So that's a good, that's a good transition. What, what do you, how do you feel about the market right now? My take and tell me if you have an opinion about this, when, it, when they first jacked up the interest rates, everybody panicked, everybody stopped buying. I, I lost money. I sold shit like way cheaper than I was planning on selling it. And then a couple months went by and every, and and everybody just kind of calmed down. So like I sold a handful of houses in December and January at decent prices with very few days in the market. Um, after, after, you know, the rate kind of settled and, and the hysteria kind of settled. Do you feel at, at this and where we're recording 
the beginning of February, do you feel like the worst is behind us? The worst is in front of us? What is your, what's your overall general take on the market, the economy? So whatever I say is probably the exact opposite is going to happen. So I guess your listeners can get some, <laughs> can get some good uh advice out of this because just whatever I say is probably the opposite of what's going to happen. But yeah, I would say um, it's very market specific. I know here in St. Louis, it's been, you know, a slight dip, um, but a slight dip's enough to, to, you know, if you're buying at certain numbers and things will re a slight dip's enough to sure. get, take a 20 grain gain to a, a break even or 10 grain loss, but some marks will be hit worse. But I think in general, We've seen the worst of it. I think the interest rates were the fastest they've ever risen. No one expected that. It shocked the market, but the market's not even dead. If I remember 2019 in that summer, Mark, the rates went up from like four to five. And like every like the whole market shut down. It was like a nightmare. <laughs> Thinking rates, you know, if they would have doubled then, like it literally would have been like 08 all over again. But the market is so strong, supply is so limited. The Fed knew that, not that they're perfect by any means, but I think they knew that. And that's why they um, raised them so aggressively to pump the brakes on the market. And I think it it, ha it has kind of hit that point where it's going to go back to a little more normalization. Spring, summer, hot, fall, winter, slow. Spring, summer, hot, fall, winter, slow. I think we're going to get back to some normalization. People just have this recency bias. If you don't sell for over asking price on opening weekend, the market's dead. <laughs> No, that's not real. Realistic market, you sell in 30 days, you have one $5,000 price stop halfway in between there and you make your 30 grand, you move on. That's a real market. Houses are still selling opening weekend or the following weekend. It's still an extremely hot market. There's just so many people in the game that don't know what they're doing. So many people that overbought, over rehabbed, overspent and still made money because the market was so hot over the past couple of years that people I don't think have a realistic perspective. So I think interest rates are leveling out. I think they're going to go up one or two more times and I think they're going to slowly start to go back down. And I think the market's going to remain strong because the supply is too damn low for it to really crash. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I, I And I'm also the worst with the recency bias. I list a house and I call my realtor every day. And I'm like, is it any offers? Any offers? He's like, Sterling, I listed it two days ago. And I'm like, well, and, and it's because I'm so used to 2020, the beginning of, you know, the end of 2021, the beginning of 2022, where it's like we get 10 offers in two days. And now when it when it sits for seven days, I'm in panic mode every time. But uh no, that that's that's great to hear. Um let's let's switch over to your marketing. Tell me about your marketing. You've done a great job. You've gotten a huge social media following. My first question is why are you doing it? My second question is, how are you doing? Yeah, so I started doing it just to kind of so I just I guess so back 2019, I started posting on like my personal Facebook, a couple of things that we were doing for uh, somebody told me to, or I just started doing it. And I got so many DMs. We presented our local meetup and there was 350 people there. People just really resonated with our story of just Luke's and I just normal and buying real estate. I think at that time we said went from zero to hundred properties in five years with full-time jobs. That was kind of like the coin, the coin phrase for that presentation. And then it really took off. So it was like, huh? So I started to post on it a little bit. We had a local mastermind that I was kind of trying to fill through that meetup. And I just started doing it, you know, just kind of for fun and just to build the brand. And then it really started to take off. And, you know, I did it, you know, how I did it was just posting real content, you know, trying not to flex too much in case you have to flex to engage the algorithm, but just trying to be real, honest, authentic, be me. It's not super um, buttoned up. As you can tell, I 
mumble and slur and stumble a little bit. It's not, I'm not like the professional like speaker, not, you know, like a, a model, like some of these guys on social media, but I'm actively investing. So the fact that I'm actively investing with authentic contact that I back up with real life examples just is refreshing to some people, I think. Um, so that's why I did it. Um, but, and that's kind of how I did it, but now I have a mastermind. So I, I have a, or I have a, a mentorship. I apologize. So I have a, a mentorship on how to do what I did. And um, I started to build that social media following started in 2020, launched the, the uh, mentorship at the end of 2021. So my mentorship has been around since November of 21. So it's been around what? 15 months. So it's been around 15 months and we have like 980 students in it. Um, and there's almost 200 million real estate owned in the group between the coaches and the mentors. So I'm developing a, uh, a mentorship that's, you know, a lot of people are investing in there's I have students in every single state, um, all 50 states and some, you know, have, you know, 50, 60, 70 students in them. So developing a, a, a mentorship that is uh, not what I intended with social media, but it just came through people just wanting it and, you know, wanting, wanting the people, mentorship, wanting more help. People do want it. And, and, and I, you know, I, first of all, I'm not a fan of like, I see, and let me figure out how to say this the right way. I see people selling coaching and mentorships all over everywhere. And, and I, I've kind of always wanted to stay away from it. it. I don't know why it just, you know, it, you, you, the guru, the cheesy guru thing. It feels icky. Yeah. It feels icky. But what I have found is that people keep calling me and saying, can I pay you money? And, and dude, I had somebody call me yesterday. It was like the fourth one in the last three months that wanted to pay me $5,000 to mentor them. And my answer is always, I don't even know what that looks like, or I don't even know if, you know, if I have time or whatever, but like, but after going through two things, one, I used to, I've, I've changed my ways. I used to be totally against the guru stuff and the pay. And then after interviewing 170 plus millionaires, real estate millionaires on the show, I found that almost every single uber successful one paid for some type of mentoring and coaching along the way. So that in itself changed my mind. And then just personally getting hit up all the time for people that are that are wanting, you know, to pay for the coaching. And 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 realistically, like I always just want to help everybody. I'm like, dude, I don't, you don't have to pay me. Like just call me anytime you want. But but you run out of time and you're busy and you know what I mean? And so it, it gets to where you can't really you can't legitimately do that. So you have to assign a dollar amount to it to like justify pulling away from your family or you're you're flipping or whatever. And and so I, I definitely understand how how those courses, how those programs, how those masterminds evolve in, into what they are today. And I value them a lot more than I did before. Yeah, I used to roll my eyes at it too. And like you said, it kind of came out of necessity. And I give away so much, I feel like quality actionable content for free. So someone can follow my YouTube or follow uh, my podcast and follow anything that I'm doing and you know learn a lot. But there's some people that just want more and are willing to pay for it. And I don't advertise it a ton. I mean, you probably knew I had a mentorship. You maybe didn't. I don't like talk about it all the time. I just give information. Then every once in a while, I'll do like a live or I'll do a story or I'll do like a webinar. Well, I'll teach and then I'll be like, if you want more, it's a, it's a very, very soft pitch. We're not, it's not hard selling anybody because if we have to convince them to sign up, they're not going to take action. And 
And I don't need anybody's money bad enough that's going to buy it and not take action. I don't even want action takers. There's people that say they will. So, yeah, it's kind of one of those Whoa. things where I don't know one successful person. And it sounds like you are similarly, but I can't think of one successful person, like super successful, like multimillionaire that hasn't wished they started earlier. And that hasn't paid for some type of coach, whether it be a mentorship for their business, whether it be a life coach, whether it be a psychologist, whatever right. it is, paying to be better, paying to be around other people, oh. paying for your friends. I don't know one person that hasn't done that. So, again, it's kind of one of those things where I used to roll my eyes at, at the gurus and I still do. But, um, you know, I try to be different. I, I spend $10,000 a year to be a member of GoBundance. I, I have a marriage coach. I have a, a you know, fitness coach. I, I mean, everybody. Everybody in every different aspect, you know what I mean? Um, that's that's good stuff. And a lot of people just like the, you know, a lot of the people that are joining the group, they like the accountability. They like you looking over their shoulder with you and their deal. That's what everybody, everybody wants to get started. Everybody's just terrified of buying a bad deal. That's, and, and I just tell everybody, just buy it. Like it's, if you, if you buy a bad deal, it's not going to be the end of the world. Like you lose five grand and you just, you learn the lesson and you keep on ticking, you know? There's a lot, little doubt. There's not as much doubt. There's a there's downside to it, but there's way more upside to buying any deal, taking action, either whether it be just buying a property or buying a mentorship if it's the right one. Um, the upside very much outweighs the downside. Yeah, for sure. I want to go back to some property specific questions um, for a second that I, I forgot to ask. One is how do you determine if you're going to keep a, a property as a rental versus um, wholesale it or flip it? Yeah, so Lucas and I owning all these companies together, we we try to pick off rentals, but we don't pick off every single one that would work as a rental. Um, we have a team uh, from all of our companies. We have uh, 38 uh, team members, and a majority of them are buying rentals. So there's over 500 doors in our office just because we encourage them. One of our 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 director of construction that does our our uh, all of our flipping and construction he's he owns 42 rental properties and um one of our uh best acquisition guys he owns 32 rental properties so like it's it's normal we have like kind of a landlord environment around here so if it's a home run rental Luke and I will keep it or some of the team will keep it if not you know then we'll go down the line the goal is to fill everybody's you know wealth buckets with rentals so if it works, we'll keep it in the office some way, shape, or form. If not, we'll go to flip it. And then the last the last option is wholesaling. Or if it's like one that doesn't work as a rental, right? And like I would say of the 300 houses we bought last year, only of 100, 125 of them were like good rentals. The other ones were crappy houses that no one wants to own as rentals, or at least nobody on the team, or they're, you know, in St. Louis, five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollar houses that don't cash flow. Shit, four hundred thousand dollar houses in St. Louis don't cash flow. So um I think it just kind of depends on the deal. Does is it in that Cash flow appreciation, 80% ARV after everything, you know, after everything's in there, money, holding costs. Is it in that bucket? Um, if not, then then we wholesale it along and we obviously try to keep the best flip for ourselves, but we don't have unlimited funds and limit everything. We try to keep five or six, maybe seven rehabs going at a time. So if we got seven rehabs going and it's a home run rehab um and it's not a rental, then we'll go ahead and sell it. What what do you how do you calculate cash flow? So we do, I mean, it's it's not like one of those IRR because, you know, the goal is to do everything out with no money out of pocket. So it's not one of those or cap rates or anything sure. like that, which I, I guess people use cap rates all the time. I get it because it's cash flow, but technically cap rates for multifamily has nothing to do with the value yeah. of the single family cap rate and sure. single family value and cap rate aren't it's like apples and oranges, but people use them kind of a lot the same. Um, yeah. But we just look for 250 bucks a month net, net cash flow after everything. And I'm talking, um, you know, 
tax insurance maintenance, all your expenses, but then like, you know, our, we have an in-house property management company and we have all those expenses and the softwares and everything that comes along with that. So the goal on paper is to cash flow 250 bucks per door per single family and then 150 bucks per door for multifamily is the goal. It doesn't always work out that way. And what's on paper doesn't always equate to what actually happens, but that's the goal. Um, <laughs> as long as we're making some money on them and not having to come out of pocket to own them, I let the properties go up, tenants pay the mortgage down and get tax-free cash flow along with it. That's what I'm worried about, the long-term game, not the not the squeezing every dollar out of every month. Sure. Absolutely. So 250, that's a that's a good spread. What do you and when I say I'll, I'll share my calculation and just let me know how close you are to this. Because on months when I don't cash flow a lot and I have a lot of cash flow on properties, that's the that's when I'm asking myself what I'm doing wrong. So I ask guys like you what y'all are doing different. So, you know, I'll take I'll take a you know the rent, the top line rent, and I'll take 20% off of the top. So I'll, first of all, the first thing I do is I I, I take, let's say it's a thousand dollars a month. I'll multiply it by 0.8 and say, okay, now it's it's 800 because I took property management. And and, I, and again, these are all just pro forma forecasting numbers because I really won't know until a year down the road when I look back on the financials. But you know, I'll say, all right, five percent vacancy, five percent maintenance, ten percent property management, and and so that's where I take my twenty percent off the top, and then off the bottom, I take my PITI, principal interest taxes and insurance, and so then I like to see a couple hundred dollars in the middle. Now, what I what I've personally seen with my portfolio over the last couple of years is that 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 vacancy and and repair number is probably bigger than I'd like to pretend it is on a spreadsheet. And so that that's where that's where I'm uh, how I'm asking you like how do you underwrite that going into it without having real numbers right you got to forecast so what are your forecasts fill in the blanks yeah so for you know you're obviously going to know insurance you're going to know property tax you're going to know um, you know you're going to know those kind of things but um, as far and you're we know you know a hundred where you know most people do ten percent of gross rent for their property management um in house or out of house. So those things are kind of known, but the unknowns are the maintenance and the vacancy more than anything. So the maintenance we set 150 bucks a door aside every month. Um and then uh vacancy we do five percent. So that's how we do it. And something that we do that I think I'm not saying you're not doing this, but so one of the biggest differentiators differentiators that we do that I think um, kind of sets us apart a little bit is how much time we spend on the front end approving a tenant. Like our portfolio is, I mean, the first couple of years we bought two, the first year four, the next. So they count, but we started 2014, 15, but we really didn't start making headway until 2017. But I mean, they stay an average of four years. So, you know, if in a decade's time I got two tenants leaving and you have four tenants leaving, you're probably if you if if in a decade you have a four tenants leaving your that decade you're probably broke even on cash flow because vacancy you're not collecting rent you're repairing things that the tenant damaged you won't get respond the money back for and you're repairing things that the tenant didn't even damage so the more tenants move out you know I would say you know you got to get tenants same for at least four years some people will talk about in over a long period of time to to cash flow so we spend an extra two three four five weeks up front making sure it's the right tenant they're making three times net we check their bank statements we call their previous landlords, making sure and their current landlords. Sometimes we'll even visit their property to see how they're upkeeping their property. So we spend a ton of extra time up front approving those tenants and we don't collect money right away. And it's a little bit of a pain, but once they're there, most of them are there for several years, um, at least we've seen so far. And that really is the biggest difference here. The biggest expense that people don't talk about, you nailed it, is vacancy. When tenants leave, that number you said that's a little low, that, that, that just crushes cash flow because 
you're not collecting rent for two or three months and you still have PITI. You still have all of those yeah. expenses, plus you're probably forking out money to repair things. So um, that's been the biggest kind of thing. And it hasn't worked out perfectly. We've had months with 270 whatever rental props I have right now, we've had months that have not been very profitable, but um, it's kind of what it is at this point. And we've had good months too, but you're right. It's But all, it's not, hey, all, all, all those units are going up value. in value. I've got, look, I, I got a house I bought in 20, I got a couple of houses I bought in 2018 for 70 grand. Still have not been cash flow positive five years later, but they doubled in value. So <laughs> you got to look, look at big picture. You're right. I think if you're wanting to scale, if you're wanting to buy 10 rental properties, manage them in-house, do everything yourself, spend 10 hours a week doing it with your full-time job, then I think you can cash flow two, three, 400 bucks a month for sure. But if you're wanting to scale and do it at higher levels, you can cash flow 200 bucks on paper, but it's not realistic. Like I said, 250 is our goal. We don't hit that very often, especially with today's high interest rates. It makes it tougher, but I'm in it for the long term. As long as I'm not have to write a check every month for my rentals, I'll just let them keep going up in value and, and doing all the tax benefits with it. What's next for you guys? A couple things. Um, continue to scale and grow. Um, all of our companies, education, there's just so much potential that I haven't even hit with education and I'm trying to, to delve into. Like I said, we have, I mean, almost a thousand students in, in 15 months, which is insane. Um, so to grow that, but uh, we actually started a new company this year to um, invest some of our money. So Luke's and I do all right for ourselves. We have several, you know, four cash flowing businesses, but we don't like live a crazy lifestyle. I don't need to make X amount every month. So I'll either collect a ton of every single month and invest it in crypto or not do any investment and buy Tesla when I think it's low or have somebody else do it for me. So we started a company that um, one of our COOs from our other company moved into. And this, this company is going to invest uh, 20% of profit from all our other companies. And they're going to take an invest in a blue chip stock and buy other companies. We've been looking at companies like a couple landscaping companies, um, uh, a, uh, you know, a wedding venue company uh, here in St. Louis. So just other companies. And, you know, there's brokerages that there's brokers that sell businesses and you buy them and they're already kind of self-managed and you infuse some cash and then they grow and then you sell them or keep them. So we're going to kind of get into the business buying side of it, as well as grow our, uh, our current companies. Awesome. 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 So for the sake of time, I'm going to hop to our radio round. Um, the first question I got is, what's your favorite book? My favorite book is probably Good to Great by Jim Collins. I I, I just love that the book, and the, the lessons in there, and just the, the lessons you can take from a one-person business all the way up to a thousand-person business. Awesome. And then was what was the follow up to that was was built to last was did he he wrote that one? Yeah, as well? he's written several now, but built to last. I we just read that, so we. Our leadership is uh, the COOs of all of our companies and Lucas and I and our CFO. And we do like book clubs where we'll read a chapter of a book and then the meeting, the first 10 minutes of the meeting, we talk about what we learned from the book and we just did built the last. And I liked it, but I like good to great a lot more. So, yeah. Cool. What's your favorite quote? Um, probably kind of simple one, but it's something that uh, I think about a lot and I've I heard somebody say the most dangerous people in the world have this uh, mindset, and it, the quote is, uh, "It is what it is, good, <laughs> bad, and different. It is what it is. If you, if you don't let something good pump you up, if you don't let something bad drag you down, and you just keep persevering no matter what happens, and you just it is what it is, that's a dangerous person in a good way. That's somebody that can overcome a lot of shit, and very few people actually embody that attitude. So I, I try to, and I think that's pretty powerful uh, saying if you actually live it. That's awesome. I love it. What's your uh, what's your favorite thing to do outside of work? 
uh, just uh, spending time with my family. So I don't have a ton of like hobbies with, you know, the phase of life I'm in. I got a six-year-old and a, almost a one-year-old and a wife of 10 years and all these businesses that are family and business. Uh, so that's it. But I get uh, so much joy out of my family and so much joy out of growing my businesses and growing the culture and the team and struggle and growth. That like that's I have more fun growing a business than most people do on the golf course or going on yeah. vacation or doing all these things. So I just get so much joy and my heart gets filled up so much with my business and my family. I don't need a ton of side hobbies and different things. Of course, I like golfing, but I'll just uh, do what I'm doing now. And it's it's got me to be in a very happy place. And, uh, you know, the, the bank account seems to get filled up at the same time. So I'm, I'm not going to try and change too much. Awesome. What, uh, how can our listeners find out more about you, get in touch with you, pay you for coaching, yes. all that kind of stuff? Yeah, just I would just say follow me on social media if you're not more than anything. You're not going to want to buy my mentorship until you kind of know a little bit more about me. So don't worry about the mentorship right now. I'd say just follow me, whatever social media you're on. I'm on there at Sam Faster Freedom. Then I have a, a podcast, The Faster Freedom Show, I just launched um, about six months ago. And then, uh, yeah, so just hit me up on Instagram is the best place to DM me and then just follow me on whatever social media you're on. And then I got a book coming out, actually. I don't know when this podcast awesome. is coming out, but here in probably April, I got a book coming out. So make sure you're checking out my social media. So I'll be, I'll be blasting that out. Awesome. We will. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. I took some good notes uh, for my business and I'm sure our, our listeners have done the same. So thanks again for coming and I look forward to keeping up with you on your journey. Awesome. Appreciate having me, man. This episode was brought to you by Crestworth Capital. If you're a busy professional and ready to make passive income from real estate investing, then go to CrestworthCapital.com where you'll be able to download a free copy of our ebook to help you get started today. Until next week, happy investing.